Death, death, death comes sweeping down. Filthy death, the leering clown. Death on wings, death by surprise. Failing evil from worldly eyes. Death that's born as life succumbs. While death and love, two kindred drums, beat the time to judgment day. An actor in a passion play. Without beginning, without end. Evermore. Amen. series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, what's going on? It's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures on social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at CinematicVoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you should send us your money on Patreon. Or just send us money in general. You can put it in an envelope and just... I think Nick has a P.O. box now, don't you? I do, but you could slide me a little 20 at the theater or something. As far as anything goes, like this podcast is free, but if you want to hear some of the older episodes, they are behind the Patreon paywall because, hey, you want to hear us talk about, like, you know, Halloween movies and shit like that? Hey, five bucks a month gets you access to that, gets you access to the Cinematist Movie Archive, where it was, you know, the virtual online screening series that I do from time to time, which is actually, by the time this episode drops, it will be premiering on October 7th. New season, new day, new start time, same cinematis. It'll be October 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Getting them plugs in. Hell yeah. So how you been doing, man? Good. Good. Beyond Fest just started, as you know. So yeah, we've been swamped. Mm-hmm. Inundated. Uh, and just, um, I don't know. I don't think I've, ever, I've really done it. I don't think I've been doing anything. No, I, I, it, Beyond Fest has been a lot. Yeah. Just got done filming with her boy Kellen from the Kellen's Petty Talk Show. I got it right there. I fucked it up every single time I did it on the video. So I had to like drop in his logo and stuff because I got lazy and didn't want to do a lot of takes. But we did a thing called, or I'm calling John Carpenter's Los Angeles, which is we ran around from downtown L.A. to Venice, just stopping at as many filming locations from the films of John Carpenter. Hit things like the obvious Halloween, there's Prince of Darkness, there's They Live, there's The Fog, there's Assault in Precinct 13, I think there's one from Christine. So we got a lot of stuff. And it was actually cool. The The premise was to do it all in one day, but that was like impossible because like, you know, geographically the way LA is like going from one location to another, it just made it a massive drive to get around. And we did some side missions in there. We ended up doing some locations from night of the creeps, night of the demons, people under stairs in a nightmare on Elm street. Uh, the first batch actually has already come out and you can view that on YouTube, but the other one we're still working on. So that should come out later. And that was a lot of fun. 
Also, just wrapped up, this is Boston, not L.A. at the Lost Fields 3. The homie Midnight Mark came in from the Coolidge Corner Theater, introduced, blown away, and the screenwriter of the film showed up. Very cool. And basically talked about how much Tommy Lee Jones was a dick to him. Was the uh, was the screenwriter planned, or he, he popped he in? He just showed up. Very cool. I think Mark had this thing planned, and then once the screenwriter showed up, he's like, oh, man, I can't, you know, he. I think he was going to have a little more fun. But then the screenwriter's like, fucking, I want to have fun. Hell yeah. And then Deanna popped out. No Deanna, and, no Deanna this week or no. that week, but right on. That would that it did remind me of the last time a screenwriter randomly showed up, which was to <laughs> live and die in L.A. And we did that elaborate fucking recreation of the car chase mm-hmm. with the trash can. With the trash can, right. yeah. John Rice was the one of the writers of Blown Away, and he, I guess, really enjoyed watching it with the crowd. Uh, when Mark was here, we did Halloween Horror Nights, and we decided to do the challenge of just seeing how many mazes we could get through with just a regular ticket. Mm-hmm. Four. Gotcha. Because we're old, our feet were hurting, and we're just like... <laughs> so nothing to do with the actual park. It's just... Well, it, it's it, like, well, we were just old, so... Uh... The park stays open to like 2 or two a.m. Really? Horror Nights. Not everything is still open. I think the Terror Tram closes at like midnight, but like all the mazes are still up open and you can pay i think after 11 o'clock you can get a fast pass thing to go do shit but like you know we got there like five something we stopped at crusty burger had something to eat you know the the lines got long quick like we end up doing the exorcist for the new movie and all i gotta say is that like there's a weird demon thing in there and it's like if that shit's in the movie this movie's not gonna be good right on it it was like the the you know the basic premise of the maze was pretty cool, but like there's this goofy looking demon, and it just felt like it was out of like a different movie or franchise or whatever. I'm trying to think of the other mazes we did. We did the um, Lat- Monsters of Latin America maze, which was really cool. Um, did the Evil Dead Rises maze, which was probably the best thing we did. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun, actually scary. I actually kind of enjoyed that movie, so like it was nice that the maze kind of capitalized on it. And then we also did the terror tram because I knew Mark wanted to, you know, go to sacred ground and see the, um, you know, the psycho house, mm-hmm. the Bates Hotel and all that. Yeah, yeah. Which you kind of walk through as, you know, part of the maze. So it was fun, but goddamn, I'm old. And I think the only way you can do Halloween Horror Nights is if you shell out that extra money and get at least a one round of Fast Pass. Because otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to do it in a timely manner. I guess if we stayed here at like three in the morning, we could have done everything. But it's just like, you know. We did four mazes and rode the Simpsons ride, and it's just like, done. Cool. So that's basically been it, because we've been in the madness of Beyond Fest, and you know what we're talking about today is actually a movie that's playing Beyond Fest. And so check it out. I need to butt in, because I wanted to butt in like five minutes ago. Oh, sorry. So I did a little location scouting myself. Oh, what'd you do? <laughs> I had band practice out in Simi Valley, and I had a little time to kill, so I went to the uh, Poltergeist house. Oh, no shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just drove by. I didn't get out and like, I, I should have got out and done like a little thing and then you get like tack it on at the end of yours. Here's Nick at the poltergeist house. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> For you, no reason. <laughs> you, you did your little horror clown. I actually, yeah. <laughs> I was actually up that way once. Uh, one of the locations for night of the comments out that way. Oh, cool. It's like that, the hat, the, um, their house in the movie. Mm-hmm. And you can cool, see I'll have to look that up. Yeah. It's, it's pretty close by to the poltergeist house. And I think like sort of near there, maybe not exactly there. Like, 
you have to drive out. I think the hospital from Halloween twos ran mm-hmm. there too. There's there's uh not a whole lot out there. So no, I'm like it, when I when I figured out where the poltergeist house was, I'm like, Oh, I've been right here getting food in the shopping center, like right next to the you know, like I've been right there multiple <laughs> times, you know. Might, might as well swing by, say hello. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of E. T. filming locations because if I remember correctly, I think E. T. And Poltergeist were kind of shooting at the same time because mm-hmm. Spielberg was the producer of Poltergeist. Keyword producer. Let's just keep with that. Right on. Also, though, I will say I'm not talking shit on Simi Valley. It's actually really nice out there. I really like it. Yeah, it's. If it yeah. wasn't. If it wasn't such a far travel to work, I'd fuck. I would love to live out there. I think. I think. It, I don't want to say it's more affordable, but I think it might be. Might be. Might. Probably. Uh, and then I. Uh, I went to see the town. Oh yeah. As uh, so. part of your series recently, so. That was uh, fun. That was, was a fun screening. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. It rocked. It was the second week in a row we had a celebrity show up. Um, when we did the Brinks job, Mark Marin showed up, and I think Chris Pine showed up for this one. Right on. You I never th- know who you're going to see nope. at the LF3. That should be their logo. That yeah. should be their uh, their tagline. I mean, there, there was the time Kanye <laughs> West, he didn't show up for our screen. What the hell did Kanye show up for at the, the LF3? <laughs> Wait, I remember that. Oh, his bow was afraid. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, I they're going to say Barbie. That'd be kind of fun. You know, awesome. <laughs> With the fucking face mask, z- the zipper face mask thing on, the going, gimp mask. Going in the Barbie like that. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I, I guess that's that's pretty much what we've been up to, I think. And we've mentioned Beyond Fest. And, you know, what we're talking about is a movie that's playing Beyond Fest. It's part of the Void co-presentations. We're doing The Church and we're also doing Cemetery Man. Both are directed by Michele Suave. And it was your idea, said, so like, we should do an episode on Cemetery Man, because you're like, I loved it when I saw it, like, in high school time, and it's like, it's one of my favorite movies, it's like, duh, fucking no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And just scheduling-wise, it's kind of timed out that we could do it in time, because normally, depending on our record ske- schedule, it's either, like, it's not enough time, or, like, it's, you know, it's hard to plan these sometimes, but this just, like, this fell in perfectly, because... We got a little bit ahead because we had another episode that was supposed to be coming out this week, which is going to come out next week, which is going to be Night of Living Dead and Carnival Souls, which is really exciting for everyone here. I think that's one of our best episodes yet. Cool. And it just made sense to do a Cemetery Man episode because, you know, it's a, we actually watched it. We watched the, you know, Blu-ray of it, not the Severn one because that's not out yet. This is one of the older, I think, like German Blu-rays or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. We're going to talk about Cemetery Man and, and Michele Suave and all kinds of stuff, you know, zombies, Italian horror, how a movie can be more than just a zombie movie. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we'll be talking about Cemetery Man, a.k.a. Della Morte Della More, on the Cinematic Boy Podcast. There's goblins, there's ghouls, there's pirates about. Halloween's coming, the trick-or-treaters are out. But look at that witch on Halloween night. She's the first one with a blinking pumpkin light. Pumpkin Night flashes so everyone knows she is near. Pumpkin Night makes Halloween safer and scarier this year. And Pumpkin Night's safer for a spooky pumpkin too. Just pop it right in and watch your pumpkin go boo. Pumpkin Light is available at Osco, Purity Supreme, Spags, and Leewards. Hiya, kids. It's me, your friend, Graham Poe. I gotta tell you, I am starting a new club, and I want you to join. It's called the Junior Vampires of America. I mean, you'll hear scary monster stories. Now, to call, you gotta ask your parents' permission and call this phone number, one 909 
4300. You'll hear all about my monster friends. Learn how to get a free vampire patch and a list of special vampire tricks and secrets. So call 1-900-909-4300. Learn how to scare your friends, even yourself. Join Grandpa's Junior Vampires of America Club and I will make you a junior vampire. Hey kids, call 1-900-909-4300. That's 1-900-909-4300. 300 to hear Grandpa's scary stories and join the Junior Vampires Club. Just $2 a first minute, 45 cents each additional. Ask Mom or Dad first. Welcome back. We are talking about the 1994 movie Cemetery Man here on the Cinematic Void podcast. It was directed by the great Michele Suave. Who, who Jim has assured me uh, he has found out that is the correct pronunciation. It is. I have multiple sources. I've seen Rupert Everett talk about him in, in an interview and it was Michele Suave. Okay. Uh, we, like Rico, Rico Suave. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> God. Anyway, this movie is also known as De La Morte De La More or De La Morte De La More. That, that's the one. I think it's De La Morte De La... Oh, God damn of, it. Of death, of love. Yeah, De La Morte De La More. I know uh, Italian, by the way. I don't know if I... Do you? Okay. <laughs> it's like after all these fucking episodes <laughs> where I've like struggled with fucking like filmmaker actor names, you're like, by the way, I'm fluent in Italian. Thanks a lot, you fucking prick. Anyway, film stars Rupert Everett, who is British, Anna Fauci, Francois Haji Lazaro, Fabini Formaca, and Barbara Capisti, who was in Suave's Stage Fright in the Church, as well as Argento's Opera, and also Fulci's new york ripper so she's been in some absolute italian bangers you got the director right but you're taking the rest of these fools down to the butcher shop with their names and hacking them to pieces dude am i all right i forgot you're the italian expert all right why don't you why don't you run through these now no it's pretty good it's pretty yeah. good well, pretty good all right well, let's keep going let's keep the suffering going here <laughs> screenplay by gianni romali who also was one of the writers on dario argento's trauma and he also wrote another film for suave which was the sect here's the one i'm gonna really fuck up here cemetery man is based on a book by tizana scalavi who created the popular dylan dog comic book in italy which was also made into a movie which i've never seen 300 issues of that comic book so there's a lengthy run there. Yeah. And most importantly is that the character Dylan Dog in the comic book, his likeness was based upon actor Rupert Everett, which is kind of full circle and is also why he got cast in Cemetery Man. And I think a lot of the book Della Morte Della More, which was written, was cannibalized and used in Dylan Dog. So mm -hmm. it, it all makes sense here. Cinematography by Mauro Machetti. Now I'm second guessing every time I say name. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. Rather be right than really wrong. But I might be really wrong still anyway. Now I, I feel bad. That's fine. Oh, you made me feel bad, Jim. I made you feel bad. Anyway, cinematography by you, Mario. You got me back, basically. I got you back. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Cinematography is by Mauro Machetti, who transitioned from the camera department to DP. Some of the films he worked on as a cameraman or camera assistant was Four Flies on Grey Velvet, Who Saw or Die, Last Tango in Paris, Footprints on the Moon, Apocalypse Now, Last Shark, and Popeye, just to name a few. So he uh, he's done a lot of like Italian films as a DP, but just looking at his pedigree of who he was like camera operating or assistant cameraing is just incredible. He worked a lot with Vittorio Storaro and Giuseppe Rotundo, who Giuseppe Rotundo who shot all that jazz in The Leopard. Um, 
Storaro obviously was Apocalypse Now, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, things like that. A lot of Bertolucci movies, like obviously Last Tango in Paris. The film was edited by Franco Fraticelli, who was Argento's longtime editor. Basically, he started on Argento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage and I think pretty much ran through opera. I think Four Flies was the only movie he didn't edit from that period. But he also edited Lamberto Bava's Demons 1 and 2, and he also did Suave's The Church and the Sect. Special effects by Sergio Stavlati, who started working with Argento around Phenomena and is actually still working with him as an effects artist. He just did Dark Glasses with Argento. Nice. He also worked with Suave on The Church and the Sect. Scores by Manuel De Sica, who also scored the very cool Gialli Crimes of the Black Cat. And for those who haven't seen this movie, which it's kind of understandable depending on when you grew up in availability, but hopefully... How close Jim lived to you at the time. Yeah, if I was like bootlegging <laughs> my bootleg of it and handing you off. Basically, Francesco Della Morte plays a beleaguered caretaker of a small Italian cemetery who searches for love while defending himself from dead people who keep rising up again and again and again and again. Well, they just get up once. and then The Returners. Kills yes, The Returners. This movie was listed at, by director Martin Scorsese of one of the best Italian films from the 1990s. Hell yeah, that rocks. Um, I'm going to disagree with Marty. I think it's one of the best Italian movies ever made. Oh! oh. But, you know, shout out for Marty for, like, yeah, calling Yeah, that's, that's real sick. And He's right. No, he's right. Like, you know... You know, I might think it's like one of the best, but like, you know, someone of Scorsese's level is dropping in like, hey, this was one of the best ones to come out in the 90s. Or just, yeah, de definitely one of the best films of the 90s. Yeah. Straight up. I, I agree. You know, I was just, I'm busting Marty's balls a little bit, but like, you know, that's high praise. So cool. Um, before we start the discussion, I think we're just going to give a little background on Michele Suave because, you know, we're showing two of his films in Beyond Fest. Basically, he started out as an actor. He appeared in things like Fulci's Gates of Hell and New York Ripper. And you can also see him as the masked man in Lamberto Bava's Demons and also played a significant role in Bava's A Blade in the Dark. He was the assistant director to Jody Amato, who gave him his first shot to make a, you know, feature film, which ended up being Stage Fright, written by the actor George Eastman. Hmm. He's probably best known for his association with Dario Argento. He started out as an assistant director. He was actually the second assistant director behind Lamberto Bava for a few years, then moved up the first assistant director, and then Argento ended up producing films for him. And although Stage Fright is his first feature film of a narrative sort, he actually directed the documentary Dario Argento's World of Horror, which... I think pretty much kind of takes, you know, it's a lot of interviews, but there's footage from like all periods of Argento up until like Phenomena. So it's a really cool documentary. I remember hmm. renting that. That was probably the first Michele Suave movie I saw was that one. Was he, so was he working on the, the documentary as he was working with Argento? Yes. Kind of like simultaneous thing? Yes, mm -hmm. pretty much. I guess they started documenting stuff because, like, I, I don't know how much of it he was there for because, like, there's definitely footage from, like, Suspiria and things like that. But, like, definitely the stuff between Tenebrae and Phenomena he was there for because he was working as one yeah. of the assistant directors. Besides Argento, he was also Lamberto Bava's assistant director, which is how he ended up playing roles in all those movies, you know. So, McKelly put in work. And... Something that I just kind of want to point out, he was Terry Gilliam's second unit director on The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, mm -hmm. and from a lot of reports was, like, one of the people instrumental in keeping that film going when, like, it hit a lot of financial, like, issues and all that. Okay. And years later, he ended up being the second unit director on another Gilliam film, which was Brothers Grimm. Anytime I've seen an interview with Terry Gilliam about Michele Suave, he's had nothing but high praise for him. 
So, like, basically every, anyone who's ever worked with him is high praise. If you go on YouTube, there's an interview with Rupert Everett where he's talking about Cemetery Man, and I don't think he necessarily likes the movie, but he has a lot of respect for Mikhail Suave and says he's a really clever, interesting, great director, and mm-hmm. it was a pleasure to work with him. I'm, I'm just assuming that that movie wasn't Rupert's bag, but I think he appreciates the cult success that it has. Yeah. And last thing about Suave is basically after Cemetery Man, he kind of stepped away from the film industry. He had a son that was not doing too well, so he just focused on taking care of him. And then when he came back, he kind of just went into Italian TV, which is where he's working pretty much since. Okay. He's actually working on something right now. So it's, you know... There's part of me that kind of wonders what would have happened if, like, his filmmaking career kept going. Because I feel like if there was a guy from that era that was making films in Italy that could have, like, really crossed over and got bigger, I think it would have been him. Okay. I, I mean, just based on Cemetery Man. Sure. Because I feel like, you know, as much as I love a lot of the Italian genre stuff, and, like, I think a lot of filmmakers had a really good run in the 70s and maybe a little bit in the 80s no one was really having the run that he was having in the 90s mm-hmm. and cemetery man is a testament to that so with that all said and done let's talk about cemetery man you basically rewatched it for the first time in how many years probably 20 maybe more yeah i definitely saw it in high school in the 90s uh via you uh, giving me a VHS tape with this and many other things on it, but it's been a really long time. I haven't been able to revisit it because, as as we all know, it's not it's not a uh, widely available or anything. Yeah, you know. But thanks to Severn Films, it will be very very soon, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited for. And I've seen a little bit of the new restoration, and it just fucking kills. It's better than what we watched. And like, I mean, dude, what the the thing we watched the other day? I mean, I, again, I'd only seen it on a VHS tape a really long time ago, so seeing it this clear was a game changer for sure. And I, so I can't wait to see the, the brand new one, man. The last time I think I watched it was maybe around 2016, 17. I know I screened cemetery man as part of a zombie all nighter that I did at the arrow theater back in February, 2017, which like I've been on record as one of my least favorite screens I did not because of the movies I played, but just because like, at the time, I was kind of pressured to do something like big, and I just like it just wasn't me. And I'd rather have used those movies in different ways, mm-hmm. especially because I was going over the no repeat stuff. But like you know, as I've gone in you know seven years, going to be eight years deep soon with Cinematic Void, there's probably some of those movies I'm gonna replay again, just because you know it's been long enough. And two, it's like I can do them in a different context, mm-hmm. which is definitely you know I jumped at the opportunity to make sure you know show cemetery man at beyond fest totally and like when i heard severn was working on it that that was one of my pitches was like to do that it, my original pitch was a little bigger in scope and i'm not gonna really talk about that because something might still happen with that one day but like mm. it's it's good that this and the church ended up in the lineup and you know cemetery man selling out just feel like a you know a bit of a vindication because it's like you know, it's a movie that's kind of been lost in the zeitgeist or could easily been lost in the zeitgeist, but like enough people gave a fuck to like basically sell that bitch out mm-hmm. and the church is getting there too. So I, I expect the church to be very much packed. Demons three. So in prep for this podcast, I ended up watching it once before you and I watched it cause I hadn't seen it in a while. And let me tell you something. I always loved this movie and always had an impact on me, but like going back and rewatching it then and then rewatching with you, it's just like there's just 
The movie's so fucking good, but on so many different levels. And, like, you know, there's a base way you can watch it, which is, like, Italian zombie movie. But, like, if you watch it for, like, basically might be one of the best examples of, like, art house, horror, comedy. Like, you know, just a fucking solid film. Like, Cemetery Man just nails it. And I guess my question to you is, what was it like re-watching it for the first time since seeing it on, you know, a shitty VHS copy that I made you? Yeah, like like I said, the new the newer version we watched, uh, which was the Blu-ray that came out maybe two thousand six or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it looks looks fucking great. I had never seen it like that, of course. Um, uh, but yeah, I definitely when I the last time I saw it, it was definitely just like awesome, awesome zombie movie. Before zombies have been completely ruined culturally for all of us in the past you know, 20 years. Uh, yeah, very <laughs> uh, much. So I saw this before that, you know, um, and yeah, it was just a, a really great, gory, fun, funny film with like, you know, a, a girl with gigantic tits. You know, if it, if it was remade now, she would just have a gigantic ass instead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but watching it now uh, is a completely different experience. Um, because there is a lot of a lot of depth to it and a lot going on. Now, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, I always viewed this movie as a lot of depth. And I think, like, there's a part of me because of how, like, I was growing up and, like, feeling alienated. And, like, you know, let's just be real. I was not, I didn't feel very attractive. I didn't really date or whatever. And you just feel kind of lost. And when you see someone that, like, looks as good as Rupert Everett, who, like, you know, ruins, you know, gets three chances at the love of his life and, like, it all goes sideways each and every time. Yeah. There's also that bit of it there. It's just, like, I, I think one of the comments we had while watching is, it's like, do we watch, like, Francesco Del Marte just become an incel as the movie progressed? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're joking as we're saying that, but, like, you know, you know, it, the thing is, like, when he fe- meets that, you know, the first the widow... And like, you know, they have this like, I guess the best sex or whatever the, whatever that instant is. And then like, she gets bit by the zombie of her dead husband and then he thinks she's dead. And then he thinks she comes back and then he shoots her and it turns out that she wasn't dead. So he ended up killing her, which is like this weird. Yeah. So that's like, it's not so much like a, you know, him having like a, a hatred of woman kind of arc as much as he just feels really bad for killing her the first time. Yeah. And then like having... Well, Noggy ends up killing her the second time. And, you know, then he meets her again and she's like, oh, I only can date an impotent man. And he's like, yep, I'm impotent and goes and gets that shot and all that. Which is like, man, you're doing crazy shit for love. And, like, it's kind of funny because, like, in normal, like, dirtbag guy circles, you usually do something to get with the woman because you want to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. He's doing this just to be with the woman knowing that he can't. And then, like, of course, there's that twist where, like, basically she's like, oh, I like sex now, and since you're impotent and can't do it, see ya. Maybe the fact that he the whole love at first sight thing, I think, is more of an incel arc than than the rest of the movie, if you if you think about it. No, uh, kind of Who operates like that? Oh, I can't be without her. Yeah. The, fr- the first time that you see someone. That's that's kind of, that's weird to me. I mean, it, I mean, it's, I mean a, it's, you know, it's a film. It's, you only get two hours. It's, it's romanticizing the idea of it. You know, it's, it's fake. It's not real, but, but I'm, but you know, but uh, you know, as, as to reality, but as a trope, yeah. you know, love at <laughs> first sight, yeah, like, cause it, there's it t- works for the film, but 
But, you know, how it works in most movies is that, like, you know, there's the pining, there's, like, then, like, you know, the questionable angling and, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, in you, you know, making a change or becoming someone you're not. It's like he doesn't really change himself outside of maybe, like, because, like, the whole rumors is that he doesn't even have a dick, which is, like, right. one, of the, one of the most hilarious things. Like, well, you work at a cemetery and obviously you didn't kill this girl because everyone knows you don't have one. Yeah. And, you know. Was, that it, was it implying that all cemetery caretakers are eunuchs i mean maybe they don't want you fucking the dead yeah well i mean i don't <laughs> i don't know if that's really a cemetery problem it's more probably like at a morgue or like a funeral home probably problem because once they're in the ground then it's like you have to do work to get to it yeah although in this movie there's not much work because the dead are coming back and i just kind of you know kind of finish up the point and like i i'm not trying to say he's an incel but he definitely there's a thing that happens in the movie that I never really thought about, and maybe I'm thinking too much of it. Is like when she comes back as the zombie and bites him, mm-hmm. but he doesn't die. That's where the movie kind of shifts. It goes from like him just shooting zombies, or whatever. It's like that. That's just just his fucking job. He's caretaking this cemetery mm-hmm. and like killing zombies. But then there's that shift where like you know he gets the image of death and like saying like, well the death are mine you need to take care of the living you should be shooting them in the head and there's definitely that first thing they've plays out as like the active shooter fantasy when he like yeah. drives up and like caps a bunch of people it's wild I, I totally had forgotten about that part yeah so i i by the way i added that to my letterbox uh mass shooting list <laughs> so now cemetery man is part of that part thank part, you part of that canon yeah but you know it's a, it's an interesting thing after he gets bit the movie does change, and that's when he starts seeing, like, you know, the different versions of her. There's that one, then there's the other girl that he meets and, like, goes back to her apartment, and it turns out she's a prostitute. So with that, you know, so it seems like when he has the mass shooting thing, it's a fantasy. Uh, maybe suggesting that, that from that point forward, maybe the whole rest of the film is a fantasy. I mean, everything from... Because check it out. I'm going a little early at this, but, like, you know, so it's not only does he do the mass shooting thing, but then he sees her as like, so basically different women that he comes across later. It's, you know, played by the same woman, you know, it's, and he, you know, it's her. Right. But like, it's not her. Yeah. Um, but then also there's the, there's like later on, like the car goes off the road and it's like Nagi's talking yeah. and cemetery man is the one that can't speak any longer. Yeah. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm just suggesting that maybe the second half of the film is, is a dream. Is it a death dream? Is it a fantasy? Or is it just like the br- reality's breaking? Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, the, there's a, the movie's meant to be like a little bit surrealist and yeah. comedic and all that. But like, I do think after he got bit, that's where the shift is. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we can come up with different theories because like, you know, I mean, the fact that like basically he gives up on love, it's like, I can't get love and I don't deserve it. And now I don't want it anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm fucking scorching earth and destroying. Fuck this cemetery. Fuck this job. I'm getting yeah. out kind of thing. I feel like it also, um, it never really describes like, I don't know. I, I left me with questions like, were the, were the dead only coming back to life in his cemetery? Like where it never really, for better or for worse, it never really explains like why that's happening in the first place. Why are there returners? They don't call them zombies, right? But, yeah. um, you know. And he doesn't have an answer. Like his answer is like, is this happening in other cemeteries? I don't know because my world is very small. Mm-hmm. He has one friend, Franco, that he calls on the phone. And I guess goes to the, he works at the city hall office and, you know, files paperwork and shit. And then he has Noggy, who's an assistant, who is essentially mute and like, you know, kind of like built up as a man child. 
kind of thing. And he and when he interacts with other people, he's very cold and snide. There's that old lady that comes back and keeps calling him engineer until she ultimately passes away. Yeah. And gets buried. And he's like, oh, she was one of my favorite, you know, people to come visit, even though like he was kind of a dick to her, like every time he saw her. Totally. Francesco Della Morte is a very like the characters just got so much depth because like, you know, he has this longing for love and then he's just kind of just like an asshole. It's all very um, it's all very comic booky. Yeah. And like, so I, I, although a generic name, I think Cemetery Man really fits in the sense that like, he's not a, he's not a superhero, but you know, yeah, he, as the protagonist of the story at Cemetery Man, like it just, yeah, it fucking works, man. I mean the, you know, the original Italian title, Della Morte, Della More is like, a, it's, it, it gives this, it makes it sound classy <laughs> yeah. and like, well, I actually, well, it's not, not, you it, know, I mean, it's so well done. It's so well shot. It's so well scripted. It's so everything. So, like, you know, it's not not classy. It's just a fucking zombie movie. I mean, <laughs> I think that's the duality of this movie. Yeah. It's like, and it's kind of fitting and has those two titles. Because, like, again, as I've already said, you could watch it as just an Italian zombie movie with, you know, fucking zombies getting shot and gore and sex and all that stuff. And it could be a five-star experience. Or you could watch it on this other plane of, like, you know, this is a metaphoric, like, kind of esoteric, like, journey kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels like there's indie movies in the '90s that weren't genre based that would try to hit those tropes, and they just yeah. couldn't nail it. And this movie just like, just nails it. Part of me thinks like because of you know Suave's association with Terry Gilliam, if you watch things like Brazil and stuff like that, that's running through this movie too. And I haven't read the comic book, but I did read an interview with the guy that created it. And he, what he said about Cemetery Man, he's like, I'm envious of how well this is and how much it, it captured, captured the spirit of Dylan Dog and my novel and all that. It's like, it's perfect. It's all very, um, it's all very comic booky. Yeah. And like, so I, I, although a generic name, I think Cemetery Man really fits in the sense that like, he's not a, he's not a superhero, but you know, yeah, he had, as the protagonist of the story at cemetery man like it just yeah it fucking works man i mean the you know the original italian title della morte della more is like a, it's it, it gives this it makes it sound classy <laughs> yeah. and like well i actually well, it's not not you it, know i mean it's so well done it's so well shot it's so well scripted it's so everything so like you know it's not not classy it's just a fucking zombie movie I mean, I think that's the duality of this movie. Yeah. It's like, and it's kind of fitting and has those two titles because, like, again, as I've already said, you could watch it as just an Italian zombie movie with, you know, fucking zombies getting shot and gore and sex and all that stuff. And it could be a five star experience. Or you could watch it on this other plane of, like, you know, this is a metaphoric, like, kind of esoteric, like, journey kind of movie. Mm hmm. Like it, it feels like there's indie movies in the '90s that weren't genre based that would try to hit those tropes, and they just yeah. couldn't nail it. And this movie just like, just nails it. Part of me thinks like because of you know Suave's association with Terry Gilliam, if you watch things like Brazil and stuff like that, that's running through this movie too. And I haven't read the comic book, but I did read an interview with the guy that created it. And he, what he said about Cemetery Man, he's like, I'm envious of how well this is and how much it, it captured, captured the spirit of Dylan Dog and my novel and all that. It's like, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And even Rupert Everett, who, again, who I think isn't big on the movie because I don't think he's big on genre stuff, but like he... He seems like a very, like, a theater kind of guy. Yeah, but, like, what he said about it is, like, this movie plays like a comic strip. It's like there's very few movies that, mm -hmm. like, capture the actual strip aspect of how the action plays out. Totally. And he feels like Cemetery Man is that. 
like it does it so well and so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about it, because at the time this was made in Italy, like Italy had, I don't want to say, you know, it's film productions have fallen off. It wasn't the heyday of like, you know, spaghetti Westerns or Giallo films or like, you know, French connection knockoffs or like all the other like kind of cash and knockoff things they did that went to either direct the video or playing in theaters. Like that stuff was ending mm-hmm. like that. The Italian film industry was changing. A lot of those people ended up just going to TV because that's where the work was because they just weren't making as many movies. There wasn't a demand for export. So Cemetery Man coming out and like I'm sure it wasn't the biggest budget, but like it feels a lot bigger. It feels a lot bigger than a lot of the movies that came out before it. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that's really impressive because the production design is fucking insane on it. Yeah. And the way it's shot and like the way it's like, you know, you know, directed cinematography, all the things we talked about, it just like, it just plays out. Like it's, you know, it's, it's a movie that you feel like you've seen, but like when you really think about it, have you seen anything like cemetery man? Right. It's just, I don't know. It's just really fucking impressive. And just like, you know, when I was in high school and I first saw it, like, I think my first watch was like, yay, you know, you know, Italian horror movie and gore Mm -hmm. and stuff and being familiar with suave through the Argento connection. But like, this was a movie that I kept revisiting repeatedly because there's just something there that like a deeper connection. And I think like in a way it's a different kind of gateway movie because it's not, you know, you've, I've seen zombie. I've seen the Fulci zombie movies. I've seen burial ground, nightmare city, every other, like, you know, kind of like zombie movie, but there's just something that was deeper that kind of opened up appreciation for art. One thing that I, I don't think we, we really mentioned or, or really talked about earlier. Um, it's in English. Yeah. And I think that that really, I mean, it definitely makes it much more accessible. Yeah. You know, I mean, to, you know, to, to an American audience, obviously. Well, but I mean, it, it kind of follows the formula of a lot of Italian productions because some Italian productions were made geared to get a U.S. release mm-hmm. or like an English speaking release and casting Rupert Everett in it who like, because even at that time, Italians still shot all their movies like MOS without sound. So like everything's dubbed mm. after the fact. And he clearly dubbed himself, which means, like, he gave enough of a fuck to have his voice in there. Gotcha. And, you know, there's a lot of Italian actors and I think a few French actors. And with that said, do you, like, is, is anyone in this film, do you think that someone else did their voice? Probably. Yeah? Okay. I, I, okay. I mean, without a doubt. I couldn't point out who, but, like... Yeah, right I think, on. That's crazy. But I think it's well done. Like, the dubbing mm-hmm. portion of it. Yeah, it's really it. well done. I would never suspect it if, if, if so. Well, I think what either happened is that whoever was doing their lines, they could either like phonetically do it and whoever dubbed it filled in imperfectly. Yeah. yeah. Like it, this was made to get a bigger release. Cool. And like, I think that it comes out of Argento because a lot of the Argento movies are like that. You know, you're not hiring like a well-known like American or British actor to have it just play in Italian. Mm-hmm. You're, you have goals to get into a bigger market. And this movie was released by October Films, and I think it got released through Fox in the United States. Okay. So it had really good distribution. Gotcha. And, like, you know, it played theatrically, not a lot, but, like, it became a huge hit on home video. I, I feel like after you, uh, you know, after you introduced me to it, I I think I, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like I do remember it popping up then in, like, the, the video stores that I was going to. You know, yeah, there was, it, like... One in Aberdeen and one Bel Air that I frequented a bunch, and I, I feel like it was at both. It was at both because, like yeah. the the first time I saw Cemetery Man, I rented it. Cool. And then I went a few years, maybe not even a few, yeah, maybe a few years later. I was at a horror convention. I saw a bootleg of it, thinking there was more gore and sex or whatever in it. But no, it like that's the other 
kind of weird thing about it is the movie came out pretty much uncut other than the the title change in mm-hmm. America. Okay. Which is really interesting because, like, you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, the gore never gets to, like, that Fulci level. But, like, you know, there's definitely some zombie heads exploding, whatever, and there's some gnarly bites and, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I mean, it's not graphic sex, but there's definitely pretty erotic sex in it. It's straight up softcore porn, bro. For a 17-year-old kid in the 90s, this was my porno. I mean, that that's the other thing, like, the sex in the movie. It doesn't, you know, you see a lot of exploitation in horror movies and all that and how it's portrayed. It's almost, like, just bad or comical or it leads into, like, a death scene. Like, obviously, the one big sex scene in this movie, the the famous one that's used on one of the poster art when she's on top of him, like, that's in one that's in on the Japanese Laserdisc cover. Gotcha. And it has an image of fucking death behind it. It's, like, it's one of the most badass fucking covers. It's straight out of, like, a fucking Sam Hain shirt or something. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. But, like, you know, there there's something different in the sex with this movie. And, like, I feel like when I think of sex in horror movies, like, you know, I think it's stuff like Cronenberg and stuff like that, where it was tapping into another, like, I don't want to say primal, but, like, you know, there's sex fertilization and there's sex that has, like, depth to it. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's in there. It's an exploitive element. It's a marketing element for this movie. I'm sure there was probably a nudity requirement in there because that was what would sell in certain, you know, you know, countries or whatever, but like, it's different. It doesn't feel like if you watch any of the goofy Friday 13th sex scenes, this is not it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's passionate for one thing. It's like, like before, like they're even getting it, he's just kissing her all over and like, you know, getting her warmed up and shit. And I know we're probably talking way too much and it probably sounds awkward as shit talking about it, but <laughs> warmed up. <laughs> I don't know, but like, no, man, it, it it's like, I think because, like, he's taking time to set up the pleasure for her, Mm -hmm. which is what is not very common in a lot of, like, exploitation movies. Yeah. And I'm not trying to do male-female gaze kind of shit here with this, but it's just, like, it just feels different because even later, when he picks up the third version of her that ends up being the prostitute, like, there's, like, this kinetic, like, intimacy to it. That isn't really in horror movies. She was uh, she was just a model. I don't, I don't think she acted in many other things. No. And, and uh, she's also, uh, she's just credited as she. She doesn't have a name in this film. Yeah, because there's three of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, again, that comes back as like, you know, obviously the first version existed, did the other two. Yeah. And that's just some deeper shit to think about. And it's just like, you know, as and anyone can relate to this guy, girl, he, she, they, you know, you've been in love with someone at some point in your life and you've had that love that has, you know, escaped you or like you just never had that, that, that one, the one heartbreak that hurts, which is another underlying thing of this, because it's just like, you know, you, you meet the, the person of your dreams and you essentially ruin it by killing them. Well, so that also makes me, leads me to another theory. Was he in purgatory the whole time? You know, is this a lost situation where the him being the cemetery man is he's he's trapped in the cemetery just like everybody else. And uh, so even, you know, it's all it's all fiction. It's all not real or it's all just purgatory. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a good theory, because like at a certain point, like when he gets out of the cemetery, they're almost like it. Not the early stuff when he runs into the mayor and when Noggy pukes on Valentina and stuff like that. But that, he like gets to the end of the fucking road. Yeah, he gets you to know, the end. it's like um, that's the end, that that's the that's where it ends. And it's like, like the, the it's the 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 world's end, you know. 
I mean, it pretty much is. It's like, you know, obviously he can get out of the cemetery and do some shit, but like there when he tries to fully leave the town, he he's, can. You know, spoiler alert, you know, he's just in the fucking snow globe the whole yeah. time. And that's what know? and that's a fucking nice touch because you see the end of the movie at the beginning of the movie because yeah. it's him and Noggy in the snow globe. In hell and purgatory and you know. Real I, sick. I mean, it it's the way that movie just plays out and sets things up and just knocks them down is like it's it's so goddamn good. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about Noggy in a second, but I just want to talk about like just you know just the craft of all of that and just like all the things going on, but like the bureau the bureaucracy of like the job he has because apparently like no one really gives a shit and no one wants to know that there's a problem. Yeah. He, so he just kind of takes care of it. And if he calls it a problem, like they're like, well, you'll be fired. So like, I guess he's like rather have a job and have to kill zombies. Like, you know, seven days after the, you're buried, mm-hmm. then like, you know, Hey, maybe we could really fix this. Cause like, again, they don't explain is is it the earth they're being buried in? Is it just some like mm-hmm. weird, a cold element? Like it's not explained. And frankly, I don't think it matters. It, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. But, you know, so I, I mean, I love it. I love that it's a question. Yeah. Really, you know, it, it, it adds to its greatness. And the zombies talk. Yeah. The, when the one bites, she like her ex, her um, dead husband, he's like, that's life. And like, <laughs> which is kind of goofy, but like it kind of works. And then like when the, the dead mayor tries to escape, he's like, where are you going? He's like, you can't keep me in here. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think like so it, it breaks some of the zombie confession, by the way. If you, much like me, are just over the zombie fucking thing and you've never seen this, this is the one. This this is the zombie movie to see. Really. No, I, it's I, it's on the list with the other greats. Absolutely. It, it's it's up there. It's definitely in my top five zombie movies ever made, mm-hmm. just flat out. And like we were talking about when we got done, and I, and I said something, and you kind of correct me, and I actually agree with you on this, is like, is Cemetery Man the last great zombie movie? And then you brought up Shaun of the Dead, and I think Shaun of the Dead probably is really the last great zombie movie. Right on. And But do I think Cemetery Man is better than Shaun of the Dead? Absolutely, yeah, because true. it because it's not carrying the baggage of like you know a homage to like zombie movies. This is just its own thing. Mm-hmm. Zombies are almost like background shit. Like obviously, true. obviously it's important, but it's really about like Francesco della Morte and just like questioning like you know being a lost soul. It's like there's a reason why he's in that you know grave working that cemetery is because he is a lost soul. He has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Like. And that's another thing I connected with, just feeling like so kind of alienated in life and just like just kind of going through and you meet people, but you're not really connecting with people, which is clearly what he's doing. Like everyone he interacts with in the movie, for the most part, he has zero connection with. He has his one friend he calls on the phone. He has Noggy, who like he sometimes treats nicely and sometimes treats like absolute shit. Yeah. And then obviously she. They they have the kind of the it's kind of the Jay and Silent Bob kind of trope going on there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point too. I I'm trying to think what clerk. I think clerks came out like ninety three, ninety four, so mm-hmm. it was around the same time. But like, you know, we we should talk about Nagi a little bit because he's he's great comic relief, and there is a bit in that movie where it does not fly anymore today. But I think it's justifiable, not in the sense that what he's doing is justifiable, but I think like that was a trope. Like you know, Nagi is like a he's bald, he's heavy set, he's you know can't talk, he's like a man child. Yeah. And, like, he's kind of like this, you know, whatever, you know. He lives in, underneath where Francesco lives. He, I, would, I do want to say, like, he's got a pretty nice pad at the cemetery. 
despite like literally living in a crypt you know like he kind of lives in a hole in the ground yeah like <laughs> but, he, but it's a, you know it's a nice apartment for a hole in the ground yeah i mean well the top floor is nice but like noggies is yeah it, even though it is literally a dugout basement <laughs> with like there's no real floor or anything but it's got mm-hmm. tv and shit yeah but like you know noggy is actually a little more complex than like you know might seem because like you know obviously it could fall in the trope of like you know man child or like you know mentally disabled or something like that whatever like supposed to be implied and then obviously like you know when he him and francesco go out in the world and they see the mayor's daughter and he kind of falls in love and even though like francesco says like you're a year older than me and that girl's like what supposed to be 14 Mm -hmm. in the movie so there there's a little that going on and then when she dies with the biker dude little age gap discourse yeah well there's more than that (laughs) going on with this i mean because, like, when they die, like, that car wreck with the Boy Scouts, and then, like, that is one of the biggest laughs, like, for me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think plays out when, like, you realize there's, like, this whole row of dead Boy Scouts, like, Valentina's biker boyfriend and all their friends. Like, there's, like, fucking 30 people getting buried. And mm-hmm. you can just, like, the look that, like, Francesco Della Morte has as he's just looking over like this, it's like, I'm going to be busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, when Valentina comes back, like, because she was decapitated in an accident, Noggy takes her head and puts it in a TV, and, like, it's 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 very sweet, but, like, you know, if you look at it for what it really is, it's really fucked up, but, like, where do you go when she's dead? How does mm-hmm. that count? I mean, I guess it still counts. Her dad wasn't happy about it, but, like... You also get that crazy shot of, like, the head flying and biting, like, the mayor. Like, Valentina's severed head. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I I think if there's anything that hasn't aged well in a movie and people want to flag, that would probably be it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of minor. It's not like he was fucking the head or something like that. Yeah. It was just this weird puppy love thing with a person that's really mentally not, you know, above, like, you know, a child. He's fucking that head. He might have been. I don't know. But I don't know. That that that's that's not our movie to tell. <laughs> and clearly that was McKelly Suave's movie to tell, so that's not in there. I, w- I do want to talk about the active shooter stuff, especially when he goes to the hospital because it, you know, he thinks he's finally gonna get arrested, especially when he makes the turn and starts killing people. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he torches like the, the she that lives in like the prostitute one and just burns that whole fucking apartment down. Yeah. And, like, when the there's a cop that's reoccurring in there that's, like, kind of, like, Italian Columbo in a way, mm-hmm. but a little, little more snappier. It's like, hey, like, definitely 1940s detective going on. Yeah. It's like, found your check, but we all have our, you know, vices or whatever, but I know you didn't kill because the guy, like, Franco, your friend that he was on the phone with is the one who's allegedly snapped and burned it down. So then he gets pissed that people were stealing his fucking murders. Yeah. And that that's another kind of little bit of incel thing. It's like, how dare you take credit for something I did? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes to the hospital, and, like, it's fucked that... Thinking about it now in the context of where the world is, that scene's insane. Because mm-hmm. people keep walking in, it's like, oh, what's going on? And he just shoots them. Oh, yeah. He, like, kills, like, like four people up there. And then, like, the kind of the capper to it when he's, like, talking shit to Franco is like, how dare you steal my murders? I called you a friend, this and that, and Franco, like, he pulls, like, the thing out of his mouth because he can't really, you know, the, I don't know what the fuck it is, whatever that medical thing was in his mouth. Franco's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. 
And that just, it just feel you can feel Francesco Della Morte get deflated that like, even as his, like someone is taking credit for his stuff, that person acts like he doesn't know him. Yeah. And then he just kind of leaves and he crosses paths with the detective and he's like, there's a madman on the top floor of the hospital. Oh, he brought a gun. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you can protect yourself. Like that shit is fucking funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I could talk forever about this movie because there's just so much in it. And like, I'm really excited to see it with a sold out crowd at the Arrow Theater. That's like 400 plus people going to be losing their mind. A lot of people have seen it before, but there's going to be a bunch of people that haven't. Hell yeah. And like, it's, you know, I, I feel like if you don't, if you're not moved by this movie in any way, good or bad, you know, love it or hate it, there's something wrong with you as like, not only a genre fan, but just as a cinephile. As a human. Yeah. As a, as a fucking human. <laughs> If you if you feel nothing from this movie, if you don't have any kind of emotional response, then obviously you're a returner, so Noggy, get the fucking spade, because we're going to put you down. There you go. So, all right, closing thoughts on Cemetery Man here. I think you just... I think you'd wrap it up all right with Noggy, get a spade, let's go. Um, that, yeah, maybe. But <laughs> that, I, I might have hit the ending a little too hard. Um, yeah, you know, fucking... Uh, you know, I, I I think this is a, qualifies as a banger, banger, banger. There we go. Certified banger, banger, banger. All right. And with that said, um, if you don't get a chance to see this when it plays Beyond Fest, it's going to be part of the AGFA catalog. So if you're a film programmer, definitely book that shit. Get it into your repertory calendar. Also, be on the lookout for that Severin 4K Blu-ray combo that will be coming out at some point. I don't I don't think they've announced that, but I did see today they also announced that they're doing Dario Argento's opera, which I knew about. So they got mm-hmm. a full slate of, like, you know, Michele Suave-associated things. They're going to be cool. doing Cemetery Man, The Church, The Sect, and Opera all in 4K. Very nice. All new restorations, and, you know, shout out to Severin, because the screening wouldn't be happening if they didn't figure out how to get the rights to the cemetery man yeah. sorted so <laughs> we're gonna take one last break here but when we return it's gonna be read watch and listen here on the cinematic void podcast i don't know how the epidemic started all i know is that some people on the seventh night after their death come back to life i call them returners i don't live alone i've got a helper nagi on his id card it reads distinctive visible marks or the most beautiful living woman I have ever seen. The cemetery's small, but it's got a marvelous ossuary. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, I can't. Why on your poor husband's grave, huh? You would have liked to know. Well, oh. I've always been so understanding. That's life. He came back to the dead. He raped her, then bit her to death. Is it true what they say? That the dead come back to life here at night? Go away. I haven't got time for the living. How sweet. Yeah. Please don't. I'd like to marry now. Not as long, dear, as I've got a breath in my body. All right. Why are you going 
lying on the floor, sister. He's praying. Uh, Delamonte, wait. There's another maniac on the loose. He already shot three. Somebody's stolen my crimes. Make a wish. I want you to fall in love with me. back it's now time for on the cinematic void podcast where we talk about all the things we've been reading watching and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast all right nick what you've been reading watching and or listening to all right so i'm still uh i'm still reading that uh ant kind which i'm sure you'll talk about as well although i'm not going to talk about it in it in any depth because a i haven't gotten that far and uh because I don't know, we'll probably talk about it more in depth later. Um, also, dug a little into the uh, Bergman auto autobiography called "The Magic Lantern" something or other, but I seem to have lost it today and yesterday. I can't find my fucking book. It's pissing me off, <laughs> but it'll turn up. I don't know. But so I'm going through that guy. Uh, watch. I just watched Rules of the Game. Uh, who I'm spacing on the director is it John Renard? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. See the the uh, the greatest no, not the Great Escape. Um, the grand the grand the Grand Illusion. Uh, he did the Grand Illusion and Rules of the Game. I think that I just after like so many times of hearing someone say that like stuff like surviving the game was kind of a a, a rip off of this. I was I was greatly disappointed that it wasn't just like that type of film. So I think I just wanted to let's just let a bunch of people loose and go shoot them. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I was looking for that day, and it didn't deliver. Well, I don't think the rules of the game, is, you're, you're confusing it with, um, oh, what's the <laughs> completely <laughs> different movie? <laughs> now I'm thinking what it is. It's the most dangerous game. The most dangerous game is the original version? Yeah. It was pre- <laughs> no wonder I was disappointed. <laughs> I feel like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, <that>. I thought, <laughs> man i mean there's a little bit of they bust out some guns and shit yeah but you know? like but it's the most dangerous game because it that was <laughs> That's the, so sick the movie that was produced by the people that produced i'm not cutting this out this rules <laughs> yeah most dangerous game yeah most dangerous game is like the one is produced by the people who did um king kong and all that and mm-hmm. they did king kong after and there's some you know connections there yeah yeah, yeah. but like so at, rules of the game not that type of movie at all it's not like the hunt or surviving the game or anything like that and it kind of pisses me off <laughs> but it's still pretty good <laughs> it's still pretty good i guess it's supposed to be you know a fucking classic but uh you know, just pretty good as far as i'm concerned but i think that it was just because of my expectations uh and, uh, and to be fair they're <laughs> both in the criterion collection okay cool i'll check it out thanks for the recommendation there um i also just rewatched uh mass which is a really it's a mass shooting movie without a mass shooting um it's just a bunch of people in a room talking which is a, a genre i definitely really appreciate um and it's just a uh two families that get together and one of them would be the uh father of the mass shooter and well the you know the mother and father of the mass shooter and the mother and father of one of the victims and they kind of uh they hash it out uh pretty heavy pretty heavy and so i had to watch it again uh uh also like i said i saw the town uh 
for the one of the Cinematic Void Mondays over at the LF3. And uh, I'm drawing some parallels from the uh, the town and cemetery man, you know, Ben Affleck with his little romantic role there. And he's kind of stuck in a little purgatory himself Ooh. of, uh, you know, kind of stuck in the, the uh, heist game. He can't get out. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the town has a more clean-cut, happier ending than sure, Cemetery Man. Sure, sure, but, you know, I but, see but, some similarities uh, there. But, no, I agree with you. It's like, you know, you find the person you love who's also the person that could send you to fucking jail for forever. Yeah. But, you know, that that's rewatching the town in the theater. I, I thought like, like much like a Nagi's love interest. She could send him to jail forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I also saw Van Nuys Boulevard at a friend's house. Yeah, this was a, a new one to me, and I enjoyed it. As far as you know, films, f- films kind of about nothing, or or you know, not really a hangout movie, as people say. Um, you know, not always my thing. I like I like movies about stuff. Your hangout movie is people hanging out talking about a mass shooting. Yeah, fuck. I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, we all got our we all have our things, man. We got invited up to the homie Scott Carlson's house. Scott from Repulsion has been on the podcast a few episodes. And he, I guess, had been doing screenings up there. And he was like, hey, um, we're going to be showing um, Van Nuys Boulevard. We're going to have the first assistant director, David Osterhout, from the film there. He also wrote Women in Cages and things like that. He had a long storied career of, like, you know, exploitation in indie films. He actually worked on with Martin Scorsese on Mean Streets and Boxcar Bertha. Came out with his daughter and, like, we... I ended up, Scott's like, you should do a Q&A with him. And I was like, all right, fine. So we, we did a little Q&A before the movie and went down memory lane. Uh, Mark from the Coolidge was there with us. Mark's like, how? Oh, when did you have time to prepare for this? I'm like, I didn't prepare for this dog. I was just winging it. But, like, <laughs> that guy had good stories and it was just like, you know, I think he was happy to talk about it. And, like, you know, he definitely, you know, he also worked for Roger Corman at different points, too. So it's just, I think he would talk about, like, you know, you know, you don't make any money for this. You're doing it for the love. And eventually, like, the love don't pay the bills. So you kind of pivot careers. And I think he got into the different, like, unions and stuff like that. But really cool guy. It was a really fun night, you know. This, you know, we were watching Van Nuys Boulevard pretty much, like, maybe less than a mile away from yeah. Van Nuys Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Although I will say Van Nuys Boulevard does not really take place on Van Nuys Boulevard. It is, like most Crown International pictures, it takes place mostly around Malibu Beach. There's definitely a lot of Malibu Beach. There's a lot more Malibu Beach than Van Nuys Boulevard. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. I, I really I really like this one. Um, it, uh, saying I, I know I was saying earlier, I'm not really big into like the hangout movie thing, but you know, it made me think of things like uh, Days of Confused, which I like a whole lot. So. You know, I, I have a feeling something like that would, is very influenced by this sort of thing. Oh, definitely. Like, you know, a lot of these, like, kind of hangout movies, like, they're, people kind of, like, don't think about them unless you're, like, deeper into the exploitation market because, like, a lot of the 80s teen sex stuff and a lot of the movies that Crown kind of made have just, they're not part of the zeitgeist of cult cinema anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with, like, you know, I don't want to say rights because Vinegar Syndrome has put out some Crown International titles as cool. of late. And then, you know, Scorpion releasing had put out a grip of them, too. So they're out there, but just, like, you know, it's a very specific genre. And, like, if you watched USA Up All Night or, like, you know, Cinemax and shit like that, it it's more of a staple for those kind of people than maybe, like, okay. the youth of today. Gotcha. I recently found out uh, about this band called Her Heads on Fire, who I think actually might be from the Maryland or from the DMV. I think they did a split with Jay Robbins from Burning Airlines and Jawbox and all that stuff. Um, although, 
you know, since I don't have a physical release of this, I, I'm not a, entirely sure what, who, if maybe he produced this full length, but it's called College Rock and Clove Cigarettes. That name sucks. Uh, but this record rocks. It's just like good 90s style, like college rock or whatever. I mean, um, the, then the title's kind of feel, fitting because it's... Yeah, it's a dumbass name. It, it's know, a dumbass name. The record's great. <laughs> it's a dumbass name that reflects the era. Just, I'll take it. I'll take it. But uh, yeah, cool record. It's a full length. Um, also been listening to the Doughboys record, Turn Me On, um, the last record by the Canadian rock band, the Doughboys. Uh, it's great from like the mid-90s. Um, also been listening to like Mega City 4 and Weston. I guess I'm on a 90s kick. Uh, Year of the Rabbit. Uh, they just released for the first time the Year of the Rabbit record on vinyl. Uh, it came out in like the early 2000s and it's Ken from Failure and some of the guys from Shiner. And uh, it's really, really cool to see a, a vinyl release on this. Of course, I bought one. Um, and that's what I've been into lately, man. Yeah, for me, uh, Reed is Ant Kind, you know, the Charlie Kaufman book. We will be, once we both finish it, we'll talk about that in length, but that's the Reed. Watch, I watched a movie called Darker Than Night. It's a Spanish kind of horror mo- movie from the 70s. It was a virtual date night with Leslie and I. We watched it on Shutter. It was pretty good. Kind of a slow burner. Might have been a little too slow at times, but once it kind of got going, it got pretty good. Also, rewatched Nightmares and a Damaged Brain because Severn Films just put that out on 4K and Blu-ray and one of the best kind of grimy exploitation slasher movies ever made where Tom Savini is credited as an effects artist but did not work on it. Mm-hmm. He just showed up for a day, got his photo t- taken holding the axe that was used in the movie, and they're like, special effects by Tom Savini. Like, literally, that's what they try to do, and he sued the shit out of him to get his name <laughs> taken off of it. But Nightmares and a Damaged Brain is actually a really... I, I like it. It's one of the it's best. It's a video nasty, right? It's a video nasty, and, and it is pretty nasty. There's a cool. gnarly decapitation with axe. Definitely get some see some vintage 42nd Street in New York when it was still like grimy and you know grindhousey. Cool. Really cool. Um, listen, there's a bunch of new things that came out, and I'm going to start with the three death metal releases that kind of came out around the same time. Blood Incantation, Luminescent bridge which is a single there's two songs on that it's if you like your death metal kind of space rocky prog a little bit yeah, a 13 minute long song i think it is oh it is it the, there's two songs the first one i like a lot mm-hmm. there's a little bit of like yeah I don't is that say, the one with the music video yeah it's the one with the music yeah. video very sick it, there's like maybe some metallica in there like you know i, I dare i say like somewhere Round Master Puppets, Ride of Lightning. So cool, but obviously a little. I don't want to say more polished than Metallica, but just better production. Mm-hmm. Let, let's face it; those two records were made with whatever technology was yeah. available then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you can hear like those elements, but a lot cleaner because like, mm-hmm. you know music production's gotten crazy. It has with how good and it, it is, and and these guys are no slouches either. They're fucking masters at what they do. Oh, they're dude, so they're, that that with a nice recording. Yeah, that that shit is shredding. Cannibal Corpse, you know, probably the most famous death metal band. In I haven't the... heard any of this yet. You haven't heard this record? I, ha- yet? I haven't listened to it yet. No. Wow, it's a uh, album's called Chaos Horrific, and it's pretty goddamn good. Cool. It's you know, it's their second record with Eric Rutain on um guitar. Oh, sick! I, f- oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, that that reminds me, and I don't know. I since you know, if you look at what happened to their one guitarist, Pat O'Brien, like he 
apparently had a mental breakdown and got himself arrested and you know pulled a knife on some cops as his house is burning in Florida or whatever that was. That shit was insane. Super sick, like straight out of straight out of Cannibal Corpse lyrics. Like he lives that shit. So I I haven't heard anything about him since. So yeah, I think Eric he's, he's just chilling in jail. I guess, or like a mental hospital or something like that. Like no one has said after that happened, they like basically said, Hey, Eric's going to come in and like fill in record his album and tour. I think just Eric Rattan's just in the band now. I mean, it's safe to actually, I think there was an announcement to say Eric was the permanent guitarist now. I mean, motherfucker, uh, hate. morbid angel and then hate eternal and then cannibal corpse. I mean, what a fucking resume, man. And ripping corpse and fucking ripping corpse. Jesus Christ, dude. He's, he's, Easily been for the best death metal bands, and and he's definitely wrote some songs. He also produced the record too, so it, yeah. like it's it's fucking good. Fuck yeah, it's it's pro it's like you know you know kind of noodly like complicated like lots of Campbell Corpse can be, but some of it's straight ahead too. So it's a mm-hmm. nice mix. It's a, it's just a solid fucking record, and like you know at this point, like when you're how many fucking years twenty thirty fucking probably over 30 years of fucking doing this, and you're still writing really goddamn good songs that are interesting and catchy. It's pretty wild. They they've turned it into almost a, a a death metal factory. These guys, you know what I mean? They really, uh, I mean, they're cranking out new records pretty quick these days. It feels like. I mean, maybe it's every couple of years, but like, I have to fucking respect it. Yeah. And like for the longest time, man, I was just like a Chris Barnes guy, but eventually I got won over by by Corpse Grinder and 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 I just you know I may not just sit around listening to all those new Campbell Corpse records all the time, but at this. But I respect it so much, dude. They're they're the best. Yeah. yeah, they're the best. It's like you know, it's like I'm not always gonna throw this on, but like I always check out when a new one comes out. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, when you get a good grip of songs, it's like, damn, it's like they're just not fucking around. It's like, it's kind of like because they're in the legacy act, probably part of their career. Like it kind of reminds me of where Iron Maiden is now, mm-hmm. where it's like they don't necessarily have to keep writing music, but yeah. I think they're doing it because they actually love it when and want a, to. When was the last time a brand new Iron Maiden record came out? It's been a few years now. Yeah. They're probably due for another one. I don't think I've heard the last few. They, 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 I feel like the thing with all metal bands now, regardless if they're death metal or heavy metal or whatever, they're all getting in the prog. Yeah. I, it's the thing. Cause Maiden's writing like 18 minute songs and shit again. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, the next thing you listen to there. Yeah, Two Mold, <laughs> The Enduring Spirit, which is a Canadian death metal outfit who have definitely tapped into the more prog and, dare I say, like the jazzy death metal subset of like Atheist and maybe some of those later death records or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd say maybe Carcass Necrotism kind of era in, in there as well. I I like it. I don't love it. Yeah. And I think, you know... Because I think the last few like Tomb Mold records are just really heavy and really punishing in the best way. Yeah. And this one isn't that, and that's probably okay. It's just maybe my expectations of what I wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably give it more more of a listen. But out of the three releases, I think that Cannibal Corpse is the best of the three. Oh wow, cool. I, I mean that Blood Incantation. It's a really good song, but mm-hmm. like I think just you know, just looking at it like you know, just having listened to everything almost back to back. It's just like there's some catchy riffs on that Cannibal Corpse record. Fuck yeah. Uh, some non, although it kind of still feel, falls into the met, metal area. Uh, wishing, listen to the Final Gas Morning Moon record. Mm-hmm. Morning as in M O U R N, not as in uh, morning as the time of day. Um, this is a band we talked about, and you introduced me to because you're like Sam Hain worship. 
And I remember you saying on the last podcast that'll, I guess, maybe come out later, but uh, that uh, you didn't like this as much as you thought you were going to or something uh, like that. It, I'm curious if it grew on you now that you've listened to it a little more. It was the, I was talking about the last single that came out, and that was the one that didn't grab me. The other two mm. really did. Okay. And there's a thing about this record, and I think like when it's very Sam Hamey, mm-hmm. I think it's really good. I think it kind of drifts more to death rock at times. Yeah, it does a kind of a killing joke sort of thing, which I, I really like. Yeah, I mean, I don't dislike it, but, like, I think, you know, after those couple EPs where it was, like, really fucking riding the fucking mm-hmm. Sam Hain aspect of it, even their Husker Du cover where they kind of, like, made it, like, Sam Hain covering <laughs> Husker Du. I, I mean, they're, there's branching out and stuff, and, but yeah. there, there's a few moments that remind me of, like, maybe, you know, Danzig, like, Danzig 1 stuff mm-hmm. coming out of it, and... I don't know how I feel about those I'm because I for sure prefer the the Sam Hain vibe from this band. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like on one hand, Sam Hain's such a special band. May you know maybe we don't need a new Sam Hain. You know what I'm saying? But but dude, they're good at it. Like, good. These, I mean, these guys are sick. It's nice because there's a million and a half fucking Misfits clones. True. So it's nice that someone else is tapping into like the best band Danzig has ever been in. Mm-hmm. You know, you can at me all you want. Sam Haynes better than Misfits and Danzig. Come on. And, and hey, uh, Danzig isn't exactly going to be writing any like great new records either. So it's nice to have these guys, even if they're just doing Danzig. Yeah. You know, fuck it, man. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll say like I like the record. I'm not in love with it, but I feel like <laughs> maybe that'll change. There was another. Oh, I can't remember the other band that came out with a kind of a death rock. Dune Alter put it out. and I'm just blanking on the name of that. Band. Ritual something. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, fuck. What is it called? Yeah, th- that band was um, Rival Cults. It came out on Dune Altar. That they're definitely more like you know maybe Sisters of Mercy, like on the death rock end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. Christian death stuff. I like that record probably more than this one, but like you know, we'll see where I land at the end of the year because like you know it's getting to be Halloween season. By the time this yeah. podcast comes out, it will be. I mean, especially that first single, but I think there's something. I think there's something special about this record. I think it's really fucking good, man. I, I think I need to uh, repeat listens and like, plus when like, you know, I'll be on the East coast for the fall. So that probably the mood will be, there you go. The, the table will be set a little bit more for it. The last two records I've listened to are more on the electronic side. First one is a band or a record by a band called public memory called elegiac beat. Um, my girlfriend, Leslie introduced me to this. We were been talking about like, they're playing Philly when I'm on the East coast. So we might go to that. It definitely, I don't want to say it's like trip hop or anything like that, but it's definitely like, I don't know. It kind of hits like the nice electronic spectrum where like some of it's kind of like grooving, some kind of soundtrack. There's definitely vocals in it. Mm-hmm. There's moments that remind me of some trip hop stuff, some Portishead here and there. But okay. like I thought it was a really good record. Are there are the vocals in that realm as well, where it's a little more kind of a they they're they're kind of dreamy. Okay. To be honest, cool. I'd say there's some dream pop in there, but there's no like guitars in the music per okay. se. So, but it, it's a definitely a really interesting record, and like I know she loves this band and like has sung praises. So I definitely gave this a listen. And I was like, I really enjoyed it. Cool. And the other electronic bass thing was John Carpenter's got a new record that's not out yet, but it's Anthology Two, where basically him and his son and um Dave Davies' kid, I think his name is oh, Ray right. Davies. That's John Carpenter's band essentially mm-hmm. are re-recording some of his hits and i was surprised to see that he's doing some halloween three tracks and one of the singles he released was cherry to pumpkins and goddamn oh yeah it's fucking great cool it's you know the thing i think the thing about carpenter's done with like you know just being 
the musician portion of his career now is that he's taken his music and like really thought it through like how do you make it more of a song mm, okay so it's just like it's a nice revisionist i don't want to say revisionist because it's not really changing it's not remaking you know it's i mean obviously they're re-recording the fucking song but like mm-hmm. the, there's a punch to it yeah i wonder what the what the real reasoning behind re-recording some of that stuff is just like oh i just want to make it better or is it uh to spite alan haworth is it is it licensing is it you know monetary i think it's i think you answered it's it's, all it's all the above above. yeah (laughs) okay i think it's a little bit of all the above because like you know i've seen alan haworth do cherry to pumpkins live and like it was it was good Mm -hmm. but like you know i i when i saw carpenter live it was definitely a different beast of a live show cool like i don't know if he's gonna play out again anytime soon but i saw him twice and he they fucking killed it nice you know, it's just like he's having the fucking time mm-hmm. of his life up there, fucking chewing gum and fucking banging them keys. I mean, I don't know how you peel him away from the weed and video games, but. Well, you put a fat bag at the end yeah, of the day it. playing that's a concert. It. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Cinematic Void Podcast. Before we wrap things up, why did I just say wrap twice? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. It's been a, it's been a long week at Beyond Fest, so we'll we'll be wrapping here. But I just want to remind everyone that the Cinematis movie is back. Going to be dropping on October 7th. First episode of four brand new episodes. It's going to be all Saturdays in October. 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, going to get a secret movie. Going to have vintage commercials. And the one that's going to be on the 28th, the one that closes out the spooky season, so to speak, is going to be a double header. So make sure you catch that shit live on YouTube. And until next time, see you in the void.